awake? Come on. You'll be awake by the end of this sermon, I'm telling you. This is a good one. Half of you guys are joining us if you're here in person. If you're online, we're happy you guys are with us as well. This is your first time here. I'm kind of excited for you. It's a cool message for that. I'm going to jump right into it. How many people love deviled eggs? All right. I love deviled eggs too. My wife does not love me loving deviled eggs. It comes with a price. I can compete with anybody in the gas department when it comes to deviled eggs. Yet every single holiday, she makes sure she makes me deviled eggs or has somebody bring deviled eggs just so that I have them. But raw cookie dough, that's my true weakness. Like I go into crumble and have start having just twitching, you know. I love raw cookie dough. Every time my wife makes cookies, I reach out, I give her a big old hug, try to show my appreciation. What I don't think she realizes is that I was getting a bite of cookie dough every time I give her a hug. <laughs> All joking aside, my wife is a very intelligent woman. I'm pretty sure she figured that out the very first time. Yet she loves me anyway. <laughs> so I'll keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it until she calls me out and I'm busted, right? That's the term we use, busted. I keep pushing my luck. Nowadays, they don't say busted. They say caught in 4K. Anybody heard that? Some of the older people like me? Younger guys are like, that's old. <laughs> to us, it's new, right? See, 4K is the highest quality resolution that our TVs get. It's those super clear images, the crazy color. You can see the blemishes and the scars and the skin blemishes on those actors and actresses that we thought looked absolutely perfect. You can see all that stuff now. In slang, it means to be caught, especially with a picture or a, or a video, of proof doing something proven that you're overwhelmingly guilty on it, especially when it's the opposite of what you preach or teach or most people think that you would do. Like if you're really healthy and you talk about how bad McDonald's is and somebody snaps a video of you eating a 20-piece, busted, caught in 4K, right? You're a big hurly dad, you know, you like to hunt, you like to fish, you like to shoot stuff, and your wife secretly gets a video of you learning how to braid your daughter's hair or having a, a dress-up tea party with your daughter, busted, caught in 4K. You're a great dad, but you're still busted. I think most of us just put Jesus in this nice little box, right, where he expects us to go to church and he expects us to be a decent American citizen, right? He expects us to follow the rules. We even think Jesus promised us a house, a spouse, 2.5 kids, good health, vacations, a 401K, that he really doesn't expect us to be different. Or he doesn't expect us to change or go out of our way to help others, right? We think of him like that and we think we've got him all figured out. And we live our lives and we make our decisions, a lot of the things that we do, we make our decisions based on that picture. But maybe we aren't really experiencing the Jesus that he came to offer. Because Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Maybe it's because we don't have as clear a picture of Jesus as we thought we did. In this series, we're going through chapters 3 through 6 in the Gospel of John, where Jesus is literally caught in 4K eight different times. Each person that meets him thought he would be different than what he really was. And if you're not a Christian, man, I think you're really going to love this series because Jesus is about to offend a whole bunch of people. He's about ready to call out the narrow-minded, the ignorant, and the religious. What happens when we see Jesus in these 4K moments and things don't match up with the way that we have them in our minds, right? The real Jesus doesn't match up with what we've been taught, what we thought, what we have learned, what we believe. What are you going to do with them? Most people choose to ignore it. Even some choose not to follow him. But some, some make the most informed and best decision they've ever made in their lives, and that is to follow him and to believe in him. 
And over the next eight weeks, we're going to get a lot closer and we're going to get a much clearer understanding of who Jesus is and what exactly that means for us. So I just encourage you, make plans to come for the next eight weeks and see these messages because they're going to be good. The Gospel of John was the last Gospel written. right? It was written later than Matthew, Mark, and even Luke. Most likely written by the Apostle John, which is one of the 12, Jesus' 12 apostles. And the purpose was given to us in the very last chapter of that book. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The purpose of this book is to show Jesus in 4K so that you and I may know who he really is so that we can believe. And by believing in him, we get to receive eternal life, right? The life that he offers. That's the goal of this series as well. And I'm super excited about it. Today in this caught in 4K moment, Jesus has this, this late night meeting with this Jewish rabbi, which is a religious leader of the time, who seemed to be truly interested in who this new rabbi named Jesus. He heard a lot about him and he probably witnessed some of the, some of the signs Jesus did in Jerusalem that they were mentioned in chapter 2. And this guy's name is Nicodemus. People call him Nick for short. And he wanted to get a 4K picture of who Jesus was. See, there were a lot of rabbis that knew everything that Nick knew about Jesus. And one of the things that I really want to point out here is that unlike all the other Pharisees, Nicodemus sought to learn about Jesus. Maybe if some of us are really honest, maybe we, maybe we really don't know a whole lot about Jesus. We know what we've picked up from others. We know what we've heard from others. We know what, what we've been taught. And maybe you think you got him all figured out, right? You got him set up in a pretty little box, put him where you want him. However, is that who Jesus is? See, man, I grew up in a church. My grandfather was a pastor. My mom played the piano. I taught junior high kids in high school. I had Jesus all figured out at a real young age. I had him packed in this nice little box that I could put away anytime I wanted. Pull him out anytime I wanted. He believed what I wanted him to believe. He thought what I wanted him to think. And all was good. Until one day I truly gave my life to Christ. I got baptized. I fell in love with him. And I started reading and I started studying and I started learning everything I could about this God that I fell in love with. And that box was destroyed. Remember the saying that a picture is worth a thousand words? What is your image of Jesus? Is it this typical Catholic image of Jesus other than on the cross? How about this one? It's a, is your image of Jesus the older, more orthodox, one of outdated, irrelevant relic of the past? How about this one? A modern Jesus, the good-looking Jesus. Jesus that would fit in and blend in any, anywhere, right? This one we just had to throw on. We saw this one, just had to put in Jesus crossing up Satan in basketball like Michael Jordan, right? Jesus is my homeboy, my friend. What is your image of Jesus? Sometimes we don't have a clear picture and it can make us look silly or it can lead to poor decisions, right? And I'm afraid that the knowledge and understanding that most of us have of Jesus is really fuzzy, but we believe that it's clear. Nicodemus and all the other religious people, they had their image of Jesus too. You got your idea of God and Jesus and spirituality. And you make decisions based on that, on relationships and finances and education, your careers, your hobby, your addictions, your hang-ups, or your struggles. See, we either believe that God is good with the things that we're doing, or we think that He's upset with us. And we busy our lives, and let's face it, life wants us busy, right? And we never think about upgrading that picture. 
No matter where you are in your walk, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, are you willing to seek to learn more about Jesus like Nicodemus did? Unlike most others in this day, Nicodemus does want to learn more. There was probably more conversation between him and Jesus, but John only recorded, it, recorded what he thought we needed to hear to believe. And the phrase truly, truly is used 25 times by Jesus in the Gospel of John. Ten of them are found in the next three chapters. Three of them are used right here with Nicodemus. And it's the Greek word that means amen. It's the same amen that we put at the end of a prayer, right? It's a way of accepting, agreeing, or endorsing what came before it. That was some awesome cookie dough, amen? Can't get it out of my head. In the church world, you may hear somebody preach and hear somebody yell amen. Can I get an amen? amen. Just like that, right? It's kind of like sitting in a conversation with friends and you hear somebody say something you really agree with and you go, oh, or you go, yeah, or you go, that's it. Or nowadays they say, shut up, which I don't get. Because you're not really telling them to shut up, right? You want to hear more. We're just weird. See, Jesus had a habit of using amen at the beginning of the sentence. And adding a second amen means that what follows, the things that he's going to say, is not only true, but the person saying it has firsthand knowledge and authority about it. And maybe a modern-day comparison with that would be a president and CEO saying, as the president and CEO of this company, now he's got firsthand, so he's telling you, right? Or your mom saying, as the one that brought you into this world, she's got firsthand, right? What they're straight up saying is what I'm about to tell you is not only true, but you better pay attention because well, I'm saying this with authority. And when he puts two amens together, it's almost like a, a, an overconfident way of emphasizing that what I'm about to tell you is 4K clarity. So let's take a look at three different times when Jesus uses these with Nicodemus. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is like, hold on, wait a minute. You're telling me that i got to somehow climb back into my mother's womb at age 40. It's weird, it's impossible, it's flat out gross. Jesus answers, you're a dummy. No, he didn't say that. I would have said that. Jesus didn't. He's a lot nicer than I am. Right? He doesn't make fun of him. He doesn't berate him. He doesn't even put him down. He follows it up with another audacious statement. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He says, I'm not talking about the natural birth here. I'm talking about spiritual birth. You were born into flesh by a womb. But to be born into spiritual life, you must be born of the Spirit. See, Nicodemus grew up learning that to be a Jew, you must be born a Jew. Anyone who was born into a Jewish family is a Jew. Jesus is giving Nick a 4K image of what God's kingdom really is. It's not by natural birth. This king, kingdom is entered by and life is given by the Spirit. Maybe you've heard to be, to be born a Muslim, a Catholic, or a Lutheran meant you were a Muslim, Catholic, or Lutheran. Maybe you even took some rites or some sacraments or some classes to prove that you were. But Jesus is flat out saying that the only one way to God's kingdom is being born again by the Spirit. And Nick is just, he's not getting it, he's confused. And Jesus looks at him, he says, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? In other words, come on, man, you should know this stuff. The Pharisees were the ones that 
that had all the knowledge, that studied it, what we call the Old Testament. Jesus said Nicodemus studied this, should have recognized Jesus as the Messiah from the Old Testament that he studied from his youth. The prophets have talked about God sending his spirits before. And Ezekiel says, I will will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. From all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will, meaning in the future, right? Remove the heart of stone and give you a new heart and a new spirit. See, Jesus is not saying anything new here. In the sense that God has never talked about this before, because he has. He is saying with authority that here is what God meant when he said this a long time ago. You need this spirit to enter the kingdom. And Nick, Nick is still struggling. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Jesus says you, and he's referring to all of them. He's directly addressing all of the other Pharisees as well. Your problem is not a lack of knowledge, Nick. It's a lack of submission. This is an authority issue here. You do not receive my teachings. I'm not just another prophet. I have not ascended to heaven and learned something new and gotten some new revelation from God and then came back down. I came from heaven. And if you don't recognize my authority, you will not understand understand the spiritual truths that I'm telling you. Jesus gives him another illustration that Nick, being a rabbi, would have been very familiar with. See, in the Old Testament book of Numbers chapter 21, the people of Israel were about to finally enter the land that God had promised them hundreds of years before. They had seen God do miracles, miraculous things to allow them to get to this this final lap. And they begin to complain that God's going to leave them out there. Oh, and by the way, we don't like the food you gave us either. God punished them with poisonous snakes. People were getting bit and they were dying from this poison. They repented, they were sorry, and they begged to be saved from the snakes. So what did God do? He told them to make a bronze image of a serpent. The thing that was biting them, the thing that was infecting and killing them, raise it up on a pole while you're walking. And if anyone got bit, just look at the serpent, serpent and you'll be saved. How crazy is that? How in the world is looking at something you made going to save you from poison? Easy, it's not. Everyone knew that looking at it did absolutely nothing. But God gave them a choice. Don't believe me because it's ridiculous? Or believe me, look at the snake, and by believing in God, you'll be saved. See, Nick had read this, and he had studied God's Word, but he was missing God's Spirit, so his flesh was twisting the words. Maybe he, he, maybe he felt safe in his flesh, in his birth, in his standing as among the Jews. Jesus says, you, Nick, and all the Pharisees who have kept all the rules and, and all the laws are some of the most righteous people in all the world, need a new heart, which is born of the Spirit. But how? You've got to accept Jesus' authority. The reason why most people don't accept him and don't believe in him is not an intellectual issue at all. It's a spiritual issue. 
we don't like being told what to do. Let's be honest. We are born of flesh, and we crave what the flesh wants. And it's natural to want darkness. It's natural to want our own selfish desires, not not just because we're evil people, but because we've been infected and our nature is twisted and it's perverted. It's more than fixing a flat tire or replacing a transmission. It's a corrupt nature. We we don't just need a tune-up. We need a whole new heart and a whole new spirit. And it's at this point that Jesus gives the most basic and 4K image that has changed so many lives all over the world since the beginning of history, but was mind-blowingly difficult for poor Nick to understand. He said, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world, the whole world, and wherever we hear that, that seems so normal and so positive to us, doesn't it? But see, Nick grew up thinking the world was bad. See, the word world usually meant everybody else other than the Jews. All humans were either Jews or of the world. And if you were Jew, you were good. And if you were of the world, you were unclean and sinful. Jesus said, God loved not just the Jews, but the whole world. So much that He gave His only Son to save the world, including you, Nick. Nick's like, from what? From perishing. But the problem was Nick didn't feel like he was perishing. He definitely didn't think he was in need of saving. But Jesus goes on. He said, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Nick thought that God came to condemn the world. He thought he needed to bring justice and blessing to the land of Israel, to the Jews. But Jesus, in all the 4K clarity that there was, says, our biggest problem, your biggest problem, Nick, you sweet little Jewish rabbi, is that you stand condemned because you have not believed. Look up to me, Jesus. God wants to save you from God. That's why our big idea is Jesus came to save your life, not condemn it. P.S. You need saving. Nick, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save. Listen to this closely. Because you are already condemned. He didn't wrap his head around that. See, all of us have been bitten. Just like that whole bronze statue thing. We are all condemned of our own actions. Jesus came to bring the antidote to sin. We are all infected and the only cure is to look up to the Son of God who must be lifted up because Jesus is the Son of God. And the apostles, they echo this statement throughout the whole New Testament. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It has infected all of us, every single one of us. We are all poisoned. And Romans 6 tells us the consequences. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, we will all die separated from God because of this poison called sin. And God offers a free gift through Jesus that leads to eternal life. See, when the disciples first presented this bad news slash good news about Jesus in Acts chapter 2, they told a crowd of thousands the same thing, that every single one of us is in the same boat. Every single one of us stands condemned, but Jesus came to save every single one of us. And the crowd cried out, what must we do to be saved? And I want you to listen to how similar their response was to what Jesus said. They said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That crowd of thousands realized they were bitten with the same poison. They realized that they were in need of saving. They realized that Jesus was able to save them. So they believed. What does that belief look like? You will perish unless you are born again of water and spirit, repentance and baptism. See, remember, Jesus said even the demons obey, or even the demons believe. So if you, if it is possible for you to believe in God, believe in Jesus, believe in Satan, believe in the devils, and still not be saved. Because belief isn't enough. It's not just a belief about God and Jesus, but also that I need saving, and Jesus is the way. The Apostle Paul told the early church, we were buried therefore with him in baptism, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. The Son of Man came. He came down. And He must be lifted up. And this horrible, horrible, horrendous act of lifting, lifting Him up to crucify Him is the very act that glorified Him as well and accomplishes the purpose for which He came. Through this, He will be raised from the dead and He will forever conquer death and hell. See, Nick realized there was something different about Jesus. And instead of writing Him off because He was different than what he thought, Nick sought to learn about Jesus. That's not enough. He had to decide to accept Jesus' authority as well. Finally, he had to decide if he would place faith in Jesus by obeying him. See, the good news is, is it looks like Nick eventually did. At Jesus' death, Nick was there to help bury him. So this secret questioning led to some semi-secret following and eventually to public faith in Jesus. And we all need to follow that same example, that same pattern, seeking to learn about Jesus, accepting His authority and Place faith by looking up and following Him. That's why our big idea is Jesus came to save your life, not condemn it. P.S. You need saving. What will you do? Thank goodness we don't have to climb back in our mother's womb. Thanks, Nick, for asking that one. <laughs> the difference between eternal life and perishing is faith in Jesus. We are all poisoned by the same poison. And the cure, the only cure, according to God, is to believe, repent, and be baptized. 
And we have made it so simple for you that it's ridiculous. There's going to be a phone number on the screen, 734-304-27248, or next at southpointccc.com. Email or text us your name. We'll help you. During this next song, there's going to be people up front. They're here for a reason. Come up and talk to them. They will answer every question you have. They will be there for you. They will take as much time. They will help you. They will explain baptism. They'll help you all the way through. I don't know, maybe you're not ready yet. If that's you, what's stopping you? Will you seek to learn more about Jesus in the next eight weeks? Will you consider accepting His authority? We're going to transition now into our time of communion. And if you're a Christian, you're invited to share it this time. If you're not, man, take a couple of moments and reflect, pray. You can even text or email the number on the screen. When you came in, you could pick up your communion at the doors. It's a, it's a, it's a weekly remembrance of Jesus' antidote, His cure, His sacrifice, right? The bread represents His body. The juice represents His blood. Father God, thank You for every single person in here. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for the amazing and wonderful gift that He's given us. The gift that we don't deserve. God, we battle this sin every single day. You know that there's not a day goes by that I don't mess up. But your Holy Spirit is there making us stronger each, each day as we go. And I thank you for that. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you for the sacrifice. And I thank you for everybody in here. Lord, if there's anybody in here that doesn't have a relationship with you, I just ask you to be with them so that they can have the courage and the strength to come forward. So they can have the courage and the strength to text or to send an email or do whatever they got to do to change that. Fill this room with your Holy Spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.